the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney. I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observation, and most importantly, my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities and the roles that these Uh, particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law because it intersects with just about every other area of the law and with parties on just about every rung of the economic food chain. And its ultimate goal has a lot to do with why people listen to this radio station. It's about helping honest people dig themselves out of a financial hole. I also practice some of the related fields in my overall consumer and small business financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of the law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last nearly 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous people. And because I grew up as a military brat and helped create another one with my former spouse who was also in the military, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I know, you've heard me say many, many times before, and I can never say it enough. I had the great fortune to not only know, but also spend a lot of time with and actually became great friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived what I call the four economic challenges of the last century. 
That is to say, they had to learn to live and thrive and survive the Great Depression, the privations of World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. And as these were wonderful women who helped raise me and always loved me and shared with me the stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who were always with me along with my dad in spirit, urging me on to do the right thing, that when the situation is right, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and disabled who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more, the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of adult and elder financial abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money, and more and more probably the, these days, the lack thereof or an insufficient amount thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your families or your small businesses, financial health, wealth and money related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and then find the qualified professional help I believe, I sincerely believe, you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances or your assets or your debt. So today we continue our discussion on what I believe we all need to know about our banking and other depository financial institutions, how they work, how they are regulated and supervised so that we can obtain the knowledge we need to protect our own liquid assets deposited into and used by these institutions to make a profit. And just as important, so we gain the knowledge and wisdom we need to distinguish between <laughs> asinine political rhetoric that is espoused by some political candidate and the real facts that enable us to make wise choices when we go to the polls such that we vote in our economic best interest and elect in the first instance or allow to stay in office only those po politicians who care about our needs and spend their time on our dime doing the research and implementing laws and performing the necessary oversight of these executive and other independent agency heads who will ensure the safety and soundness of our financial institution housing our money and not waste our time with horse manure. Okay, I'll just leave it at that. So since we've been focusing on this subject matter for the last few weeks, we've looked at several main topics, including we looked at the structure of the balance sheets in general of banks and SVB in particular, Silicon Valley Bank, the bank that folded. It was the second largest bank to fold in American history. 
which and that's because it was heavily invested in and funded by the depart deposits of startups and venture capitalists and their owners. And because they were in a closed loop, as I like to say, or in engineering terms, they were taking deposits from a group of people and putting that money back into that group of people, and they didn't have enough diversification. And that certainly was this over-concentration in one type of banking consumer as both its source of funds from their deposits, as well as the uses of funds to make personal and business loans right back into that same set of entrepreneurs and businesses, that turned out to be a major problem. We also looked at some of the tiny technical financial reasons why Silicon Valley Bank failed, including the economic relationship between inflation and the interest rate increase that was put in place by the Fed in trying to deal with inflation and the fact that um, the bank had used its excess capital to buy what it thought was safe bets that stay long-term bonds. But bond yields, uh, they have an inverse effect. And as interest rates went up, the value of the bonds went down and their, therefore their balance sheet was out of whack. Then we looked at the fact that on March 17, 2023, Silicon Valley Bank's parent, uh, parent entity that's known as Silicon Valley Bank Financial or SVB Financials filed for Chapter 11 in the Southern District of, of uh, New York while it searched for buyers of its, that is to say the holding company's assets, because the bank's assets were taken over by receiver. But the parent company was still there. But when a parent's primary Subtending entity folds, what is the parent to do but try to reorganize itself by selling its assets? And that's what started on March 17th. And then we stepped through some of the regulatory actions taken by Silicon Valley Bank's California regulator, and it pulled in the um, FDIC to act as receiver. And at, in that role, the receiver went through several steps that culminated in last week's discussion about the fact that a bank out of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, First Citizen Bank, and its owners, and the entity FDIC, they brokered a deal that culminated this on Monday, March 27, 2023, that allowed First Citizen to acquire $72 billion with a B of SBC, SBV's, <laughs> uh, SVB's Silicon Valley Bank's assets at a discount, along with $54 billion with a B of the bank's deposits and 17 branches of the bank's uh, uh, branch operations. And they renamed this new entity Silicon Valley Bank a division of first citizen. Then we took a deep dive into how the FDIC provides this insurance function. So when we come back, we're going to take a closer look at what we need to know about bankings and the other depository institutions, how they're regulated and supervised by honing in on one of the other um, uh, entities that insures deposits, the National Credit Union Administration, for credit unions. And then the next time we get together, we'll take a deep dive and look into to see how um, the entity that supervises and ensures 
uh, monies deposited into brokerage houses. And that entity is the Securities Investors Protection Corporation. But first, we're going to take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion uh, by taking a look at what it is that we need to know about banking and our other financial institutions, how they work, how they're regulated, and how they're supervised, including what mechanisms and safeguards in our banking systems that are focused on ensuring our liquid assets make sure they're safe when we deposit them into these banks and other financial institutions. And so uh, we're going to look at one of the other of the three major groups of entities that regulate and insure. Today, we're going to take a look at the National Credit Union Administration for federal credit unions. So first up, what is the history of credit unions and why are they so important? Well, in an article um, entitled Credit Unions in the United States, statistics and facts that was published on Statistica, a statistical compilation and analytical website that I use that's located at statistica.com, as well as information on the history of credit unions that are provided for the whole world to see. Uh, It's published on the American Southwest Credit Union on its website, which is located at a scu.org and my own personal knowledge uh, about credit unions. So a credit union is a not-for-profit financial institution that unlike for-profit banks uh, that are owned and controlled by the bank shareholders via the bank's officers and boards of directors, a credit union instead is owned and controlled by its members manifesting a form of what I call collectivist capitalism. Effectively, what would happen if Karl Marx, the father of communism, and Adam Smith, the father of economics, capital-based economics, undertook a Vulcan mind meld? The first credit union was established in 1864 by Friedrich Riesensassen, in rural southern Germany, Riesensoften believed his neighbors and friends could enjoy an enhanced standard of living if only they had access to a common pool of funds. He proposed that all community members pool their resources so individuals in need of loans could easily ex- access the necessary funds. Because remember, poor rural people in Germany no, no bank was going to lend them any money. So this idea of pooling resources and sharing it amongst communities was a really great idea in my mind anyway. And it was well received in the community. And the first credit union model was soon established way back in 1864. In 1909, the credit union movement crossed the Atlantic to reach our American shores with Edward Filing serving as its pioneer. The movement gained momentum and continued its growth. And then in 1920, Filene hired an attorney uh, to assist him in generating the movement's expansion. 
and his name was Roy F. Bergenstein, and he created a more sympathetic concept of credit union and put it in front of politicians. Now, credit unions were gaining popularity and they were popping up all over the United States, but it was only in 1930, in the 1930s, that the credit union movement achieved federal recognition and national acceptance. And that's when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, another one of my favorite presidents, signed the Federal Credit Union Act into law in 1934. Federally charted credit unions in every state became legally authorized to create a system of not-for-profit cooperatives to promote thrift and sound financial practices amongst the regular people here in, in our country. Uh, Federal Credit Union Act, the Federal Credit Union Act enhanced the public's confidence in the credit union movement, and it continued to spread across the country. And then in 1970, the sense of security grew stronger with the National Credit Union Share Insurance Fund. It was established. The credit union deposit gained federal insurance that functions much the same way as the FDIC insures banks' deposits. Your money is always safe if you see that their, your credit union has on its door the National Credit Union Share Insurance Fund. Now, with credit union movement growing at its most rapid rate, Prospective members started flocking to join new member-owned financial institutions that were being established all across the United States. In fact, between 1970 and 1979, credit union assets in America tripled. In 1977, another credit union-friendly regulation was signed into law, empowering credit unions to offer more services and products to their members, most notably mortgage lending and share certificates, which are CDs, basically. Today, the credit union movement continues to thrive in the path that was charted by these great people who brought the idea over from Europe and really got it grounded here in the, in, in the heart of the Depression when we had President Franklin Delano Roosevelt looking for ways to help regular people survive financially. Now, credit unions work in many ways just like banks, providing loans and holding deposits for its customers. But people are attracted to credit unions because they're not for profit. That means that that money that would go out the door and profit stays inside the credit union to make more loans at lower fees available to more of the members. And you also get um, you play a role in managing something that's important as opposed to a bank. There's always this hierarchy of people you'll never see or never know. If you're involved in a credit union, it's you and your neighbors that are making decisions. Now, Historically, credit unions were not open to everyone. There had to be some kind of affinity, such as you if this, you work for the same com company or you were in a governmental unit outside of the country uh, or it was in a specific industry. But those um, restrictions have basically gone away and just about anybody can join a credit union if they have some kind of affinity. Did you know that there are over 40 
800 credit unions in the United States today, and the largest one is the Navy Federal Credit Union that started out as an entity that it was founded in 1933, and it was the affinity group were employees of the Department of the Navy who were in the District of Columbia. Now, um, uh, the Navy Federal Credit Union is opened up to all employees in all branches of the military, veterans, Department of Defense employees, and their families. And it's the leading credit union, and it ha- had um, $153 billion worth of assets in 2021. Again, credit unions make a, play a major role uh, because at least one third of our country's population is in some way tied into a credit union. And again, it's the idea of collective capitalism that makes it all worthwhile. So credit unions net today are insured and regulated by the National Credit Union Administration. And uh, you can find out more about the National Credit Union Administration at its website located at ncua.gov. Now, it was created in 1970 by Congress, and it's an independent federal agency that insures deposits at federally insured credit unions, and it protects the members who uh, who own the credit union and providing them with some kind of malpractice insurance. I'll just put that in quotation marks. And it also charters and regulates federal credit unions. A three-member board of direction directors oversees the National Credit Union Association's operations by setting policy, approving budgets, and adopting rules. Now, each board member is appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. The president also designates the chairperson of the NCUA board. No more than two board members can be from the same political party, and each member serves a staggered six-year term. Now, the NCUA protects the safety and soundness of credit unions and the systems that they encompass by identifying, monitoring, and reducing risk to the National Credit Union's share insurance fund, which is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States of America. And like banks, this fund insures deposits up to $250,000. So, and... um so it provides this to the millions of, of credit union share members throughout the country. The NCUA also plays a role in helping ensure broader financial stability uh, as the member of the Federal Financial Institution Examination Council that works with the other insurance regulatory bodies to make sure that we have a sound a financial footing as possible. And it's headquartered in Alexander, Virginia, and it has subtending units all throughout the country. So when we get together next time, we'll conclude our discussion on the safety and soundness of banks and other um, depository institutions by taking a close look at the Securities Investors Protection Corporation. And it guarantees or insures up to $500,000 per brokerage account 
with a limit of 250000 in cash. So we're going to leave it there for now. But as always, in closing here at Selma's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including knowing about the laws and regulations implemented by our government to safeguard our hard-earned dollars when we deposit them into federal or state-regulated financial institutions for our greater good. So that's all for now. I can't wait to get together with you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.